You're listening to Unsung, a crack magazine podcast on Sonos Radio, where the world's greatest artists reveal their heroes who never caught the spotlight. Samuel T. Herring is the lead singer and songwriter of the US post-wave band Future Islands. The band shot to fame after a wild and compelling performance on The Late Show with David Letterman but they'd already been making music and touring together for eight years before then. Samuel's unsung choice is the American punk blues low-rock band Morphine, known by the deep vocal tones of frontman Mark Sandman. Morphine formed in 1989, and while they were embraced by the indie rock community, they never found big mainstream success. Samuel chats to Stephanie Phillips, journalist and one-third of British punk band Big Joni. They discuss making it as an older musician, songs that can be a cure for pain, and how much to reveal of yourself in your writing. It's really great to speak to you today, Samuel. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Amazing. So yeah, we're here to talk about your musical and sung hero, Mark Sandman. So for anyone who's never heard of them, could you describe who he is and what he means to you? Yeah, so Mark Sandman was was probably most well-known as the lead singer and bass player in a band called Morphine. They came out of, I guess, Cambridge or Boston, Massachusetts in the early 90s. I believe they formed in 1989. It was one of those things where I found out about Morphine as a child because my older brother had a Morphine t-shirt, and I loved that t-shirt. And probably when I was 11, he gifted it to me. You know, and so I would wear it with pride, not realizing like wearing to school a shirt that said morphine on it may have been a little strange. But at the same <laughs> at the same time, I was wearing like a Danzig cow skull shirt to school, uh, also a gift of, from my brother. So I was probably sticking out a little bit. You were that kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But th- it's funny because I actually knew like I knew the T-shirt before I knew the band, you know, mm. and uh, maybe only a year or two later, I would find my first morphine CD. And that was kind of what started me on following that that group. And how would you describe Morphine and Mark Sandman's general sound and what kind of music do they make? It's kind of weird because the the truth is like Morphine is two kinds of bands. They're they're somewhat they're somewhat like jazzy at times um and experimental in their sound, but sometimes they're just like kind of a blues rock band, which is very much against everything that I kind of like in music. <laughs> you know, I grew up in uh in North Carolina, southern rock radio, classic rock is on 24 hours a day on the radio. So you're kind of inundated with these sounds. So in a way, I think discovering discovering them kind of thinking about it, I realized how it kind of spoke to the sound that I was hearing a lot. You know, I didn't want to be into what was on the radio, but it sounded different to me. It was more exciting. The interesting thing about Morphine is there's no guitar. Mark Sandman played a two-string, modified two-string slide bass. There's a saxophone and a drummer. So it's it's a very, like, small trio, like a tight trio with an interesting sax, bass, and drums. I got buttons bursting in the air. I got apple orchards everywhere. I got grapes swinging from the pine, swinging in a line, lighting up in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
years later, it's like, that was Future Islands. Like, my band was just like bass, keys, drums. Morphine was always this band that I, I looked towards for kind of what they did and how they did it. But I thought it was always interesting how they had this sound. It just sounds really low. Mark Sandman described the sound of morphine as low rock. Like, there were all these baritone voices. And, and something about it sounds like the sea, like the moorings of a ship or like that hollow vessel of a ship rocking on the sea. There's something about it in that sound that I think also spoke to me as a kid growing up on the coast of North Carolina. But yeah, very interesting sound with the slide bass. And Mark Sandman has this extremely deep, rich, like lustrous voice that is also you know, uncharacteristic for uh, music in general. Like, you rarely hear those kinds of voices that are low but still really stand out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a defining part of the sound. And the way his bass guitar and his voice worked kind of in tandem in the same range is, is really interesting. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's definitely kind of like an eclectic alternative rock listen that kind of gets more interesting with each passing minute. Yeah, yeah. I know that hip-hop was a big influence for you when you were growing up, but how did Morphine, this band that has all these kind of different influences of jazz and blues and all these things, how did you find them first? I think it was around the time I was around 11 was when my brother gifted me this T-shirt and I wore it till it was ragged. And then when I was probably between 12 and 13, my brother's last year of high school and uh, there was a day he was hanging out with his best friend, and he asked me if I wanted to come along. They were going to go to pawn shops and look at CDs and stuff. So I was like, yeah, of course I want to like hang out with my big brother. You know, I'm like a 12, 13-year-old kid. He's, you know, 17. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'll hang out with y'all. So I remember we went to this pawn shop uh, in Havelock, North Carolina, which is a big uh, marine-based town. So the pawn shops there are just like stacked with with good music. I mean, I really, I built my CD collection from this moment for the next five years in those pawn shops around these like marine bases uh, in Havelock in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I have a very limited knowledge about music at this point and kind of like just know what my brother has shown me. My favorite group is the Temptations, you know, <laughs> I like <laughs> the Temptations and, and I like Primus, you know, it's like <laughs> a weird, a weird, another group with a strange of singer with a strange voice and an amazing bass, you know, and I found this Morphine CD. It's their fourth album called Like Swimming. And I like showed it to my brother, like, hey, the, it's that band Morphine, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, you should get it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I just, I felt like I found, you know, treasure. I took it home and I listened to it and I tried to understand it. Like, what is this, this music? Is there any particular track from the album that you found at the pawn shop with your brother that kind of still stands out to you? Yeah, I would go with, I, well, this is for the fun of the listeners. I'm going to go with Wishing Well from Like Swimming. This just has such a great bass line. I think it I think it's a good encapsulation of the band as a whole. Like both sides of kind of what they do coming together in a nice way. I'm exactly where I wanna be right now. Ah, yeah. I gotta call back
interesting listening back to it in the last uh, couple days as we were talking about doing this podcast. I'm realizing how much those sounds are still things that I really that I really love in music um, in in other other groups. But also, you know, it was only a year later when I would discover hip hop and how that completely changed everything for me and became my complete and total music obsession. Listening back to these albums, I'm hearing that driving bass and and these these drum interchanges. And I'm like, oh, that's like what I love about music. Because like, I've always said that hip hop pretty much brought me to every other type of music. You know, it's like Mm. hip hop is what taught me about jazz music. But in some weird ways, I'm listening to Morphine and realizing how I was already listening to sax music. I was already listening to interesting time signature changes and and things like that at a very young age. Um, but Morphine still, it still just like makes me feel good, but it also makes me sad. And those are the things mm-hmm. that I got listening to, you know, Marvin Gaye and the Temptations as a kid and the Supremes were yeah. like, like, how can you have a music that makes you move and also makes you sad a little bit but that's like a good thing because you're like feeling an emotion i think it's something you recognize uh that well definitely i recognize as a child about music like in its power to make us feel you know and it's amazing how that carries on and we we just gain a greater understanding of that as we get older uh with that love of music definitely definitely i think that's kind of so powerful i mean is there a particular morphine track that kind of still moves you to this day or kind of stood out to you? Oh, there, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I, have to, <laughs> I have to like go. I mean, for me, one of their quintessential songs is from the album Cure for Pain, and it's the song Cure for Pain. Like I've listened to that song so many times over so many years asking that same question, you know, um, someday there'll be a cure for pain. That'll be the day I'll throw the drugs away. I mean, to me, it speaks to... Like I've I've had drug addiction problems. It speaks to that side of when do we stop filling this hole that we have in ourselves mm. with these outside things and start to start to understand how we can either live with that hole, you know, in ourselves um, and and accept it, yeah. or uh, you know, just looking for that that chance to to break free of those things that cause us pain. Even as a child, understanding my feelings of Isolation was a big part of what drew me to music. It became a, a thing where I could I could escape outwardly and inwardly at the same time, listening to music. not being able to listen to some songs because they're too they're too intense they're too emotional <laughs> but I do think that's interesting kind of listening to morphine as I was preparing for this like it is such a kind of emotional roller coaster almost and it's an intense experience I mean how does kind of listening to Sandman make you feel is there a particular context that you listen to the band 
until we were talking about uh, doing this podcast and I was thinking about possible people to talk about, I hadn't listened to Like Swimming probably in 12 years. And I, so I was listening to it last night and this morning, like reacquainting myself with it. And I was just like getting so many feelings. It's kind of a weird album and it's cool because it's their fourth record. And I feel like in some ways they took a step back in creating something a little more somber. It's a little bit more repetitious in creating codas in the lyrics. It's really cool to listen to it now in the context of, wow, this is like how I discovered this group that, you know, I'm still really close to. But uh, I mean, I probably listen to Morphine when I'm feeling a little, <laughs> I'm feeling a little sad. Listening to their lyrics, there's definitely kind of a melancholiness in the sound and you know, the idea that it's it was never confirmed whether the songs were about him or who, who it was about. I mean, I was wondering kind of how much of an influence of that way of writing and kind of creating songs has had on you. Of course, as a musician, I'm asked about influence and all that stuff. Mm. And Mark Sandman is one of those people that I often forget to talk about. They just kind of like slips my mind because I think of the big ones, you know, I'm, I like, if you listen to my voice, I'm Elton John and Glenn Danzig. I mean, that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's me. That's my perfect combination of my voice. But people like Mark Sandman were very, very influential, I think, in embracing a tone, you know, embracing that the sound of the voice. Um, and, you know, I've fought with my voice for many years. The things that, that, you know, fans of Future Islands like about my voice, I've probably only come to terms with them in the last four or five years and been like, yeah. oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, but, you know, that's that's part of being a musician, but also a person, you know, as you grow older, your voice changes. It's not like playing an instrument where where your technique maybe gets better or you learn something new, but the instrument sounds the same. Like for me, I'm like, I'm constantly dealing with a with an ever-changing instrument. And and part of that is is learning to uh to realign oneself in not only what can I sing today, but what can I sing every day for the next <laughs> Exactly. You know, I, I might be a little less adventurous at times because I know that my voice won't be able to hit those same kind of spots maybe in another five or six years. I think I hear his voice very early on up until the last record sounding. It's the same tone and it's the same like trust in that tone, but it just grows more honest over time. I would say that's probably more speaks to probably who he was as a person than who he was as a musician. Because I also understand that for myself, you know, my writing his calm, not only because of my voice, but because I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a rage filled, <laughs> you know, it's like when we don't know how to communicate, we, we act out through, through frustration and anger. So as you become better at communicating through your instruments, whether, uh, you know, an actual instrument or your voice, but also just going through life, you become calm and acceptance. Hopefully, hopefully, I find that in myself. You know, you mentioned that morphine set up as, you know, bass, drums, saxophones, quite similar to your Future Island set up and kind of based around the rhythm section. I was wondering, if there, is there like a track where you can definitely hear the influence of morphine in Future Islands or kind of any lessons that you learned from listening to this band? I would say, I mean, honestly, a song like All Your Way is like one of those songs that, you know, sometimes there's you hear a song and you're like, I wish my band had written that song. <laughs> and there's just like so many good lines. What does he say? Uh, I was raised to be strong and hard, uh, but if you if you touch me wrong, I might fall apart. I met a woman who was soft, but she's also hard. While I slept, she nailed down my heart. And like a line like that, just like, 
cuts me in such a good way. <laughs> let's put it to bed, let's put it down. I can't talk about it, not right now. On my dying day, I'm up able to say, I'm still see full of manly rich. On my dying day, I'm up able to say, I'm up able to say, you know, if I I, I mean, honestly, songs like that to me speak really to a lot of like even speak to like seasons and dream, dream of you and me. Morphine's also one of those bands that we all love in the band. There's very few of those bands or you know groups that we as Future Islands who have very different um, musical tastes like in our cores. Um, they really speak to it. But a song like Beach Foam off our very first album, I think speaks to that, has like that similar depth of bass and that feeling of bass. For me, Morphine, what I love is is uh, feeling that bass guitar. And what I do a lot as a singer is play off of that bass. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Sandman as an unsung artist today. So, I mean, what do you think it is? Why is it that you think he hasn't received the recognition that he deserves or that you could have seen him? I, I do. I am curious what their last album, The Night, would have sounded like if he'd been there for the finishing that record. Uh, you know, The Night was their fifth and final album. The whole thing is, is that Mark Sandman died in 1999. He died on stage at a show in Italy, and The Night was released. Their final album was released uh, posthumously. And to me, it's their most experimental album. It plays with the most like extra instrumentation, kind of new sounds. And then there's songs like Rope on Fire that almost have this kind of like Baltic, uh, I don't know what you call it. There's there's almost like uh, th- this unitar that he plays, you know, this like one string instrument. And, and it's just... Uh, they're definitely experimenting, but it's also them at their most like lush and beautiful. The opening, the opening track on that album, "The Night," you're the night, Delilah, um, a little girl lost in the world. Um, it's just like so, it's so beautiful to me the way that record opens. I'm also curious what that album would have done for the band if it would have raised their profile uh, and gotten them more attention. But I, I definitely think that his early passing, uh, of course, is a tragic moment. The night a little girl lost in the woods. You're a folk tale, the unexplainable. You're a bedtime story, the one that keeps the curtains closed. I, 
I do think that was part of it. But also, I mean, they were just playing with a weird style. I mean, their style was, I, I would say at the time they were making music, they were more akin to like a Medeski, Martin and Wood type jazz trio rather than like a, a, like a rock band. And especially putting out an album in like their first album in 92 and the second in 93, you're like in the grunge era, which like takes over the world. Like, what are you doing making this bluesy rock experimentation, like jazz, jazz thing? I think, I think they were just like greatly overlooked by the trends of the time. And also I think age did play a part. There's a really big thing about morphine that has been really, really important to me. And that is that we, as a band, Future Islands, like we, we've been around for a very long time. And, you know, in those hard years, 26, 27, 28 of like wondering if you're ever going to be, if you're ever going to like get a record deal or be able to, to support your life as a band, I always look to Mark Sandman. Like Morphine started, that band got together when he was 37 years old. Um, they put out their first album in 1992 when he was 40 years old. And and that was always a thing that I was like, well, Mark Sandman, he held on and he kept playing. And then he, he got his big record deal at 39 years old, put out his first record at 40. You know, I can keep going. It, there is a side to music and the music industry that plays to the youth game. You know, if you don't get in there when you're when you're young, it's really hard to uh, to continue to carry forward or get get the recognition early you're kind of always playing catch up i think for him he probably felt that way too i think that's a reason that i i look towards them as a light and if we're talking about sam as an unsung artist but kind of looking at him as an individual he was quite private and you know he didn't talk about his age or he didn't kind of like giving personal information to journalists so it's kind of interesting i mean do you think he would have wanted to kind of raise his profile any bigger than his you know, audience that he had and kind of maybe it is, you know, a good thing that, you know, you found him when you did and other people have found him and that it, it's kind of just still a, a small audience that maybe he wanted to cultivate. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you're right. Uh, I think, I mean, that's, that's a place where me and him are very different because <laughs> I like to me listening to his music, I hear it being only autobiographical, but that's because me as a writer, I almost... 95% I what I write is autobiographical. Um, so that's like, that's how I express myself. So when I listen to Morphine, I just assume that he wrote it. But yeah, I'm reading about him. It's like, he never would confirm if this stuff was about his life. It's like, well, what? Did you just make it up? Uh, or like, like, that's a whole, that's the like bravo if, uh, you know, if because it, it feels it feels very personal to me. Um, and it has always spoken to me on a personal level, but, but I also kind of respect, uh, you know, I, I didn't personally realize how it can be, uh, personally damaging, um, to reveal so much about yourself and then reveal it again through the media or with fans, you know, you give so much of yourself in your music, then you give yourself on stage and then you kind of have to rehash it again, uh, through press. And at times it can be what do I keep for myself? What is left for me? So I don't know if he had, if he was just smarter or if maybe he screwed up at some point early on <laughs> before morphine. And because there's also that line of where you're allowed to speak about your life and your experiences uh, in your music when it involves other people. 
you know, how much is revealing of their life and revealing your own life? This is a grand question to, <laughs> to ask oneself and to ponder, uh, because I've, I've thought about this a lot and, you know, knew that I really hurt somebody years ago because I was singing about our relationship. But it's not as if I called this person out. I mean, they knew who I was talking about, <laughs> but nobody else did. If that, you know, that's a, it's a weird thing. But then you're actually, you're hurting someone that you don't, you're not trying to hurt. You know, like the one person that you're trying to actually be like, hey, I really loved you is actually the person who's offended. And that's a, that's a, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. It's very difficult. I guess the line between kind of telling your story and telling too much or sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't really realize what you're writing until it's out there and you look back at it. Exactly. No, that's very true. And so kind of, you know, to kind of finish, I mean, you know, Simon was such an interesting person and kind of had such an impact on your, your life and career, I guess. I mean, if you had to summarize his influence on you, how would you describe it? Hmm. I mean, even more so, not just Mark Sandman, but the band Morphine was one of the groups that really brought me to music and made me feel like there was music out there that that spoke to me and gave me feeling on a really personal level. And because of that, it was just a group that uh, uh, that I followed through through the sound and emotion. Like the the depth of his voice is just uh, it still like rocks me. It's uh, you know it still it still hits me in a really special place and has allowed me to become comfortable and understand my own voice for its own idiosyncrasies and and how that's a that's a power that's not something it takes away but it it like defines who you are and it's okay to to be who you are and sound like who you are and explore those things i think that's that's something i've learned over time through that band a band that i i greatly love yeah Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Unsung, a crack magazine podcast on Sonos Radio, where the world's greatest artists reveal their heroes who never caught the spotlight. Thanks to our guest, Samuel T. Herring. It was hosted by Stephanie Phillips and produced by me, Eliza Lomas. The series leads are Duncan Harrison and Luke Sutton. To keep Crack Magazine independent, visit crackmagazine.net forward slash support.